Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sim Sundays podcast and for the second time, second iteration of our new format where we do a bit of news before we dive into our interview segment, I'm joined by Mr. Random Coolsign. Hello sir, how are you doing? Hi there, thank you for having me again. You are more than welcome. It's uh, It's been a busy, a busy week of sim racing news and not all great news. Uh, what have you brought to the table this week? Well, uh, there's a few topics we we should talk about. One of them will be the the Formula One esports or whatever it's called now. Formula uh, One sim racing. Yeah, Formula One sim racing. Unless you look at the website, if you look <laughs> at the website, it's f1esports.com. There's f1 esports news, and if you go onto the YouTube, it's called the f1 esports virtual Grand Prix. So it's, it's exciting. It's exciting very to, very you know, consistent to work out what branding. it is we're watching or not, as the case might be. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, because um, apparently there was supposed to be a race and uh, the race is cancelled for this week. Uh, we, actually, the race which should be tomorrow and um, Saturday, uh, 15 mm. and 16th. And this carries over from what happened at the Maldives. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or DreamHack. That was supposed to happen. In DreamHack, then they didn't know they, if, if it was going to happen. Mm. A huge, huge mess. And it's uh, it's sad because it's the biggest championship that we have in virtual racing, not just eSports or Formula or yes. Sim Racing or whatever. And they have yes. a huge impact. Yeah, it's a shame because it's kind of the, it's the, the window into pro Sim Racing for a lot of people. F1 mm-hmm. is our... Is our is our biggest name in in sim racing, uh, in terms of the sheer numbers of people that um, play it. I did think the I did think the DreamHack thing, and we've discussed this before. But I, I thought, oh my god, this is the smartest marketing we've ever seen. This like slow drip, all these pictures of them in airports and bits and pieces. I was like, if this is the way this season goes on, and they're oh, building yeah. drama and a storyline through social media, I was like, oof. That is good. I'm excited for this. I was but... on t- uh, Twitter asking, what the <laughs> hell is happening in the Maldives? What the hell is this? <laughs> Why can't I go? <laughs> and, then, and then it was apparently was an inside joke between them because they ha- were under NDA. It, we weren't supposed to, or they weren't supposed to tell they were going to DreamHack or something like that. So they had to make fun because, you know, they are also a personalities themselves. And mm. when they do for, they go for a trip or they do something, they post it on Twitter, Instagram, and whatever. It's a way to to increase their exposure, the, the, their team's exposure, and they require it for, to engage with fans. So having all these guys go to somewhere and they, can, they can't do, do it under NDA, apparently that was the case, um, they had to say something in the and it was so funny. They they all got into the joke because everybody was saying exactly the same thing. Oh, if Mercedes Formula One esports is going to to Maldives, and then Williams, mm. and then this, and then that. So it was kind of funny. And I'm like, what the hell is happening in the Maldives? Yeah, it was kind of exciting. We just we just none of us knew the dark reality that was oh, yeah. uh, existing behind uh, that kind of chaotic social media scene. Um, and it's uh, it, it obviously now we've had the second race that's been cancelled, and there there's, seems to be absolutely no news on what this means for the rest of the the season. Um, I was enjoying reading uh, an article that came out uh, yesterday, uh, so Wednesday, on the week of this episode releasing, uh, that was written by Toby Durant. Now, Toby Durant, 
uh, if you don't know, worked at Gfinity, and Gfinity previously had the contract for F1 Esports. So Gfinity were organizing F1 Esports until uh, it's, it's come under the wing of uh, ESL, which is why it's, been, uh, it's now happening alongside ESL R1, et cetera. So Toby Durant, who was running a big portion of the F1 Esports when you know it worked, he, <laughs> he wrote an article for Racing Games GG, uh, the title of which is F1 Esports 2023 has, has been a completely avoidable disaster. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then subheadline is, what a mess. And then the headings are event two cancelled, sacrificed youth, and what next? So it's, it's, it's dramatic. He's, uh, he's, he's not happy with, with what's happening. But to be fair, it, with good reason, because, you know, having, uh, we've been fortunate enough to speak to maybe a dozen now of the F1 esports drivers. And I've spoken to some of them recently, although they've asked me not to quote them in the podcast um, about what's going on. And they're all gutted uh, by this because it's a huge deal. Like some of them, you know, they're, they're sacrificing time at school or A-levels or, or, or jobs exactly. to, to, you know, to kind of pursue this career. Um, and if the F1 esports series can't run itself properly, then they're doing a huge disservice to the, you know, over 100 people, including the, the drivers, the engineers, the social media managers, um, you know, everyone. There's a whole machine behind, behind it. <clears throat> There's a whole machine of people who care deeply about this, this season. And it's just started so, so poorly. The one person who might be happy, although I'm being flippant, he's definitely not going to be happy, would be Thomas Ronha, who at this rate might be the, the winner of, <laughs> of the eSports series, having won just one race. Uh, I'm also, uh, you're talking about uh, a lot of these drivers uh, losing time. There's a really great post by Marcel Kiefer. He works uh, for Red Bull, I believe. Yes, I, uh, yeah. I, also, uh, I also read that. Uh, sorry, uh, Mercedes. Yeah, he's not, I mean. he's not, yeah, he's not, he's not Red Bull. Yeah, Mercedes, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Um, and this post is incredibly good, uh, saying, you know, I'm f from a, a poor background. We have to do a lot of mm. sacrifices for it because he, he does have a specific skill, very specific skill in racing. And where do you take that? Well, in Twitter. No, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, what you're saying, you know, he's built up this incredible skill to, to drive F1 for the eSports yeah, yeah, series. For, if there is no eSports for, series, like, Formula One yeah, eSports like, simulator and, you know, getting into racing or even sim racing at a, such a high of a degree requires something that, in my opinion, is does not, is not the same in other eSports. Uh, you mm. don't do the same things on, on, for example, on CSGO or CS2, whatever it's called, because... Also, Niels, um, uh, Niels Narjox, uh, that uh, from BS Plus, he has a really good uh, insight I saw into his this. Post too, yeah. Because I believe he also played um, FPSs competitively, and he was saying, "Well, you, you, let's say if you you have a match, you play six, eight hours to train, right? But if you do it on esports, everything can be gone in ten seconds." Yeah. So yeah. there is a much bigger risk and the much bigger involvement and investment in time that it requires in sim racing, it's always about the last stand that might not be even there and everything yeah. else in between. Yeah, it, it's, it is a shame. And actually, to be honest with you, it, it's, it's a collapse of an esports series that is based on a flawed premise anyway. Um, it, it, Marcel Kiefer also uh, in his post was talking about 
how the series has kind of been drifting along okay for the last few years, but it's built on a game that is totally unsuited for elite esports competition. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, you know, the lack of um, anti-cheat and the the the, the way that different uh, the, the the way that the same setup will react differently based on which car uh, you're in. Um, which is really interesting because obviously you know it's a it's an elite um, esports series that's, that's basically running on a on an um, set, you know I've often said that it's it's elitist to call it an arcade game but it kind of it kind of is and then if if you look at um, the limitations imposed by that game um, F1 arcade F1 arcade in London they're open between now and 2025 they intend to open 75 venues around the world they've Good got a, another one in in Birmingham in the UK they don't use the F1 game. Because it's you know R it's not it's not um, something like that. Yeah, well they use they use uh they use R Factor Two, um to run the uh to run F one arcade, which is which is so telling. I wonder. Not really. It is not really because there's there's another way to look at it. R Factor Two is a little more open than something like Formula One because Formula One is a is a platform that is meant to be on multiple consoles, and R Factor Two or Seto Corsa. They have a very easy way to to control the variables on the background, mm. so it's it's far far easier to to scale than Formula One will ever be. Yeah, no, I I agree. But um, having spoken to F One Arcade, the the founder and some of the the management team there, I know that they originally tried to do it on the F One game, but just the studio would not give them the support. They, it yeah, was yeah, possible. Exactly. But yeah, so it's it's a shame, and I, you know, I wonder if F1 esports or F1 sim racing, I wonder if it too will move to a different platform. I think commercially it wouldn't make sense, but from an esports point of view, it well, might. Well, it depends on what uh, Formula One, how much control Formula One has, and how much is in control mm. of EA, because uh, yeah. EA has not been very good lately, and. Um, you know, I think Codemasters is a really good force for uh, for sim racing, but they're being held basically ransom because they were bought by a bunch of people that don't really care about anybody else. Yeah. Other than... We spoke about this last week. We did. So <laughs> let's move again. on to some good news. What's yes, the good news, good news in the world? Well, good news on the world. Uh, I've been playing way too much low fuel motorsports in Assetto Corsa. <laughs> way too much. I think I've done like since they launched fifteen races or something like that. Nice, nice. And uh, it has been it it has been absolutely incredible how the reception to that to that platform has been. Considering there has been like other platforms around for exactly the same thing, but this one has been at least in the beginning. Because you don't know what, what, how is this going yeah. to move in the future in two, three weeks or one or two seasons. How is it going to be? The reception has actually been excellent. And we are going to talk about, you know, talking about a game that at certain times, um, at least in the platform, has more people playing just the Mazda rookies than it had <laughs> playing both uh, the GT3s that are more popular series in LFM. So at, for mm. example, 10 o'clock, they had 90, 125 people registered just for the Mazda rookies. Yeah. At the, 9 o'clock, 9 or 10 o'clock. And then you go to the GT3s, it's 40 in one, 30 in the other, which is already pretty good for it's 9 o'clock. Yeah. It's Europe. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, everybody's yeah. playing. And then, okay, 125 people in Mazda. It's not too bad, which is yeah. basically full. Yeah. I hope the uh, I hope the studios are watching and see the power of uh, enabling these community tools 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the it's the most efficient way of them increasing the shelf life of their oh absolutely of their games. And talking of Assetto Corsa, ACC had some big news this week. Oh yeah, there's the GT2 coming along, which I wasn't expecting at all. I did not mean all. that. I actually did not mean that. What? <laughs> which is which is kind of telling. That's interesting. The GT2 was totally unexpected, and I wonder. Yeah, if I wasn't a expecting that at all. I wonder if there's a reason that it wasn't expected. I I, I don't know how well that's been communicated. Received. It's it's kind of like the sim racing community has kind of gone. All right. Yeah, it's exactly. Nobody was expecting that because <laughs> you know GT2s. Have you ever watched the GT2 race? I have. I've ra- it's I, I've watched them. It is really boring. <laughs> Honestly, it's the GT2s, the GT1s. Like when I go to the SRO, uh, when I went to the SRO races, I went to six of them last year, and I would watch. When it was on, I watched the Clio Cup, uh, I watched the GT4s, and I watched the GT3s. The GT2s and the GT1s were just loud and annoying. Yeah. Like, there was really, really not that much to watch. But interesting, I wasn't referring to the GT2 news. I was talking to cross-play multiplayer oh, on console. Oh, yes, that's also very good. Yeah, that's, also that's, very that's good. arguably bigger news. But, but it's cross-play multiplayer within the consoles. Yes. I have to try that out. Yes. It's not with the PC, because I very yeah. highly doubt that uh, the consoles would have that power, because they only mm. run like 20 cars or something, and they, yeah. and they struggle. Well, at yeah. least the PlayStation 5 struggles a bit. Uh, I can't imagine with, I don't know, 60 cars like we have mm. on the PC sometimes. Would be very difficult yeah. to do. It does feel like a step in the in the right, in the direction. right direction, and I it was interesting. That I think that has made more news. Uh, oh yeah, than, absolutely. Than the GT two news. The GT twos were uh, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna okay. get it because yeah. it's gonna it, it's content. You know, I'm gonna you gotta get, get it. The sweet, I'm, you gotta get that sweet, day, sweet content, man. <laughs> I think to this day, um, I am of the opinion that Stefan Rattel did the. GT2 series, so he could race against Thomas of Fanatec. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "Do you fancy a Do you fancy a race?" And he's like, oh, "Yeah, yeah well, sure, let's do a race." Right. He's like, "Should we get some other people involved too?" Yeah, sure. We'll just make a quick se- series for it. Yeah, exactly. Because there's only what they know, that thing is it like twelve cars or something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something not, like paltry. Yeah. And the, the GT1 cool. is even even less. Yeah, it's uh. Yeah, it, it's it's they sound good, they look cool, but the mm-hmm. racing the racing was not there when I went to to watch. It was just something that kind of happened in the background. Mm-hmm. But hey ho, I've not tried driving them yet, so I reserve judgment until until we've tried them. I think my initial reaction was interesting. Who was asking for that? But then I wonder no. if it was you know maybe SRO were asking for it, perhaps. But and, yeah, perhaps what I I'd... feel that it's going to happen is something that I've seen. I had exactly the same thought. I've something that I seen somebody say. Okay, this is going to be cool for about a week and nobody cares. It's like the GT4 mm. cars, and the GT4 cars are tragically good. Oh, it's a tragedy. I, know. I prefer racing the GT4 than the GT3. They are the, the, the lobbies so are so good. Dead. Yeah. And yeah. Nobody, nobody races them. There's no, I mean, even LFM or whatever, there's, there, there's nothing for it. There's no support of, the, of official championships, and well, they should yet. be. Maybe, maybe, maybe there will be. Maybe there will be soon. Okay. Uh, Thank you very much. Appreciate no our, our new segment. It was uh, it was a big week actually. It was a big week. Uh, I'm I'm excited to see what uh, we're talking about this time next week in the world of sim racing. And we are now going to 
go across to our interview with Alpha Tari, which is exactly what I said last week. But then literally after we recorded this episode, Alpha Tari were like, can we move the episode back a week, please? There's some stuff that's going to clash with and we want to promote it. So uh, I was like, here we go, Alpha Tari. And then there was an interview with Alex Gillen. So Alex Gillen is not this week. It was last week. If you want to listen to Alex Gillen, it's last episode. But this week is the interview with Alpha Tari. Thank you, Mr. Random Cool Sign. See you next See week. See you next week. So we're here for the AlphaTauri F1 Esports brand shoot, and I'm joined by Jed Norgrove, Yoni Tomala, and Tom Manley. How's it going, Jed? Yeah, good, thanks. It's uh, yeah, great to be here. It's exciting to be here. It's exciting. It's an exciting moment. We're at the start of the, the season. There's new teams. There's new drivers in new positions. It must be quite a kind of overwhelming experience on, on like day one, meeting the team in person, knowing what's to come this season. Yeah, it's really exciting. Obviously, the season's right in the corner. It's great to, to see everyone and see the new team kit as well. It's just, yeah, really excited for the season and uh, can't wait to get started. Well, the team kit is looking, is looking very good. It's, uh, it's very clean. Um, Yoni, how oh. much have you prepped up to this point for this season? Um, for me, I started very, very late because I was doing some other stuff earlier on. So not that much, actually. I'm needing to catch up big time but yeah it's a nice challenge i like challenges and it's interesting isn't it because it each season each new season comes with a new game so it's not a case of just getting back up to speed you're kind of having to relearn your craft right <clears throat> yeah for me because i was doing other sims the whole year i've had to learn everything every, uh, everything from scratch again like i've lost all my muscle memory so i'm building that back and it really is from scratch yeah that's really interesting. Obviously, each game is different, right? So on this podcast, we talk about ACC, we talk about iRacing, talk about F1, Gran Turismo, Forza, and each game has their own characteristics. But the F1 game being a game that comes out every single year comes with a new, essentially, platform to master. Learning it from scratch feels, feels crazy. I suppose if you're, a, if you're an F1 esports driver and you're learning it in the detail that you're, that you're, that you're driving at, then you know, any small change is actually kind of amplified by a thousand times when it affects things like setups and strategies and driving styles. Yeah, and I think also, I think the F1 game is the hardest to be really fast in because there's so many specialists who have never played any other sims. They've only done F1. So when you're kind of switching between the games, you just start lacking behind. So it's... It's a bit of a struggle, but I don't know, it's still doable. Like, I believe in it. <laughs> you believe in it, okay. And presumably you still enjoy it, right? You, you know, you're, you're doing so much practice. I say you, st you started late, but you know, the next few months, you're gonna be absolutely flat out, excuse the pun, practicing and competing. Do you manage to keep enjoying it as you go through that process? Yeah, I've had such a long career already that if I wasn't enjoying it, I would have probably stopped. So yeah, it's... It's just, I just have the fire to win. I really, really want to win. And that's what makes me go forward. Tom, doing things like a brand shoot, right? Doing all of the, like the extra kind of like the media activities around it, the interviews coming on things like this podcast. How much do you enjoy that side of it? Um, well, I think that's what comes with it. I think you know that, but yeah, I don't mind it. I mean, you get to share some stuff where you wouldn't get to share normally. 
get to ask questions you wouldn't normally get asked so people have more of an insight into you know what you're doing and because you know on the surface you don't really see what's happening underneath all the hours that are going to it but obviously you can explain go into more detail and stuff like this so yeah i think it's actually great and being embedded with a with a team what was the most surprising thing that that you learned that you kind of got to see under the hood um probably just the amount of stuff behind the scenes actually that you don't that you don't know like the amount of people behind the scenes that have to work in order for it to you know to do its job because you know on the surface it just looks like drivers going around the circuit but obviously you've got people behind the scenes like performance coaches because you know there's so much layers of it you know half of it's like a mental game really especially so I think that's really important. Yeah, 100%. And it must be, when you're kind of embedded with a team that is operating at such a high level, F1, obviously, is like, you know, one of the most advanced sports in the world. Everybody who, are, who is a member of any of those teams in any capacity is totally, totally at the top of their game. Otherwise, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be there. Does that inspire you? Yeah, to know you're, you know, working with the best and, you know, especially, you know, in a team, that's good. I think it just helps motivate, you know, to prove that, you know, you, you're you're here for a reason, you know. Yeah, totally. And you know the 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 seasons, kind of the off seasons um, between you know, F one twenty two season, the F one twenty three season. There's a lot of you know uncertainty in a in a lot of cases. Um, you know we don't, don't know which driver's going where. Um, you don't know what the the game is going to be like when it when it comes out. How do you manage that that period between the seasons? Um, well, it's probably one of the only times you get a break really because as soon as the game comes out obviously it's a new handling you need to be from the get-go so you're not lacking behind so when you have a time when you have time to have time off I think it's important to utilize that correctly and switch off because it's very full-on especially you know during the season it's relentless really especially in sim racing you know it's because you can play wherever you want so like real life racing you have practice obviously some sim work but with virtual racing, it's really just who can put the most hours in, really, and it's really tough mentally. So when you can switch off, I think you need to properly switch off. Interesting. And what do you like to do when you when you switch off? I think just ignore racing completely and just try and do something else, anything else, like even like a walk, just something to get your mind out of it. Because otherwise, it's just racing, 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 and I feel like that's it can kind of swallow you up almost sometimes yeah now now on that like yoni obviously a lot of people in the f1 paddock a lot of people come from the league racing background and league racing things like psgl wor you know even like things like aor right that it plays a huge part um in, in what we do in, in f1 esports and it's almost kind of like the ladder it's how you get recognized right before you before you enter like a a paid full-time professional seat like this right Looking back at league racing, like how much do you think that has not only prepared you for, for this role, but also like how much do you think it's impacted F1 Esports as a series itself? Um, that's a very good question. Like when, when I started F1 Esports, there wasn't much league racing going on yet. It's kind of a recent thing where it's got really competitive. But yeah, you, you, you see like every year there's a few guys who come out of nowhere and are very, very fast. Some of them end up getting a seat, some not. 
but it's really interesting. And also, I think nowadays it's a very good way to practice your racecraft because the grids are full of esports drivers. So you basically, it's not exactly the same, but it's still similar and you can get quite a lot of out of it. And it's incredibly, incredibly competitive. And, and something that, that I notice is there's, there's an element of preparation for kind of exposure to you know, social media, scrutiny, almost fandom, right? There are, there's, there's league racers who have a huge following on, on Twitter especially, so that when you enter these leagues and you get into the top tiers, you are almost scrutinized like at, in a way as a, as a pro. People are looking at what you're doing, they're looking at your performance, they're looking at your reaction to your performance and other people's performances, and you kind of almost have to practice. It's almost like a, a practice ground for um, F1 esports. Do you think that the, the non-racing part of league racing has prepared you in any way for, for this? Um, I don't think so, really. No, I don't think about that stuff too much. The, 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 the kind of like the peripherals around around the racing, the, the kind of the media engagement and the, the scrutiny that you get through social media doesn't phase you too much when it comes to to the F1 esports season. No, not really. I mean, I still, because like I said, when I started, league racing wasn't really that big of a thing. I still separated quite a bit from the actual esports season. So for me, league racing is a good way to practice, but esports is still esports. Like that's the only thing that really matters to me. Yeah, it's it's kind of almost like it's it, it's it's two different crafts purely because of the the support systems you have. Right when you league race, you're very much racing so, solo. In F1 esports, it becomes a team effort. Oh yeah. Yeah. So when you uh, first came into F1 Esports, which element of the, uh, of the team sport surprised you the most? Like, which bit kind of helped you the most? Like, what, what improved your craft the most by joining a, a pro team? That's a good question. It's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think just, you know, having people in the background, because like, I come from the times where the team was just us, like we were just working together as a group. And there was no one really in the background. There was no salaries. It was mainly just a hobby, a very competitive hobby. So that's that's probably that changed the most. Like realizing it could actually be a job if you do well enough. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a great opportunity. It is a great opportunity, and I think that one of the things that we talk about quite a lot is all of the other opportunities that are built around sim racing. So sim racing communities, I've been a member of dozens of these communities and something that, that always stands out to me is how many moving parts there are to these communities that race. So you have the owners, the admins, moderators, livery designers, setup coaches, um, yeah, sorry, setup engineers, coaches. All of this plays a part. And then your broadcasters, commentators all play a part um, when it comes to creating these communities, these leagues that then people watch and people race in. And then when you come to the F1, uh, esports series, you kind of have that mirrored, but just on a massive, massive, uh, massive scale. Um, and obviously, talking to Liam earlier, seeing the uh, the insight that he has into the engineering that goes on in the in the teams, obviously for for um, another team, uh, which was which was hugely eye-opening. Kind of how much is um, committed to it by these teams. So let's talk about setups and engineering. What was it first like working with a proper <coughs> setup uh, engineer and strategist for the F1 Esports series and kind of losing perhaps a little bit of control 
of your of your strategy? Um, it's like, of course, it's nice to have more insight into it, but I think there still needs to be a fine balance because in the end, the information you get from the game is very limited to the engineers. Like the driver on track knows more what's going on. So I think there needs to be needs to be respect between the driver and the engineer so the driver can also make calls in the race if he feels like like you always plan things ahead then if you realize the plan is not going to work the driver can have some say in it so i think i think that's probably the most important thing is having respect and balance in that Mm. It sounds like something that would take a little bit of getting used to, a bit of practice, a few races before you kind of find your feet. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, it comes with practice, like, and also I think the personalities need to match in some way, because if there's no synergy, it's just going to get really messy, you're not going to react in the right way, it's, it is, it is very complicated, but if it's done properly, it's really, really good. Yeah, it's kind of like a beautiful dance when you yeah. have lots of lots of moving parts all contributing to the the same thing, which is lap time, right, and yeah. racecraft. Exactly. Um, so, Jed, one thing we like to do on this podcast is we like to tell the stories of the people who are uh, at the top of their game within the sim racing space. Now, the reason we do that is because the people that listen, a lot of them are aspiring sim racers, and they would love to be doing sim racing full time. And when they hear the stories of people who have done it and they can relate to those stories, obviously that's a, it's an inspiring uh, experience. So tell us, when did you first start sim racing and then get us to this point here? Oh, it's a long story. So, <laughs> I mean, I've always been interested in Formula One. Like uh, my dad's always watched it. So I sort of started following it ever since I remember. And uh, the first thing I remember was I had like a Nintendo Wii and I, like, I started playing like Mario Kart. It's not obviously a sim racing game, but it's a fantastic um, game. I then got F1 2009. So that was like my first F1 game. Um, so yeah, I just raced on there, then went to Xbox. And I, I went, well, my first competition was at the, the Belgian Grand Prix 2014. Um, we were literally just walking around like the, the place where they sell all the merchandise. And we saw this big arena and it had like eight different sort of sims in there. On, it was on F1 2013. And basically anybody could go have a go on it. So I was like, oh, go have a go on it. And um, I ended up winning it, like the whole the whole competition. I think that I have like 1,200 people. So that was sort of like when I thought, mm, like maybe there could be something with this. Like, so yeah, I just kept sort of practicing from there. Um, and then I got to like, I think it's 2020 or 2021. I was so, like, nothing, so nothing came necessarily from that competition. Um, so, so it wasn't like that. You were then headhunted. That was just a kind of a marketing activation. And you yeah. were like, oh, okay, this is, this is maybe there's, there's some natural talent. I know that always sounds, if somebody says, I think I found that I had some natural talent. Maybe that sounds like a little bit, you know. Yeah, I, I had a few opportunities on different various like sims and stuff like that, but nothing really ever, ever come of it. And then. So I just kept sort of driving the game, kept working hard at it, and then obviously saw the F1 esports series, and I was like, mm, maybe that's something I could look at. And um, so it was what I did was I sent emails to a few of the teams, just explaining who I am and this is my story and and what I did. And I got a reply from Red Bull, the team manager at the time, and he was like, oh, this is the the route you need to do um, to get into F1 esports. So I followed that route, um, which is like the to get into the pro exhibition through the the time trials so I did that 2021 
um, but I didn't have a good result in the tar- in the the pro X. I didn't get picked. So I was like, they're like, right. So if you try challengers, then we'll go from there. So I did challengers, got third in the championship, and then signed in April last year as an academy driver. So uh, so yeah, that's sort of like my my background and how I got into it. It's it's absolutely nuts, isn't it? Like I don't know about you, but when I was at school, the classic phrase got thrown around by like teachers, like you're not going to make a career playing games and actually there's now so many routes into it and obviously sim racing is just is just one of them but at what point in this process did you think actually this this could be a career I always go back to when I won the competition I think yes something initially at the time didn't get me in like into a a career of it but like I used that story when I emailed the teams Mm. I said like this is what I achieved and I always look back think so yeah it did work it's like and I remember thinking like when I won it, I thought, mm, maybe like, maybe it could be, could be like something to get into. So, uh, mm. so yeah. And what was the, what's the, the motivation, right? Why, why do you want this life, this, this career? Why do you want to be on this stage? I think, obviously, like, I, I love racing, love Formula One. And obviously, when, since growing up, it's something that I wanted to be involved in. Um, I look as well, like, there's many different jobs you can do and you can see, like, when you see people doing like nine to five jobs or whatever, and I look what I'm doing, I think, wow, I'm so lucky to be able to do this. So that's a big motivation to me to to work hard, to, to be really dedicated to it. Because like Yoni said, I want to be successful. I, I believe in myself that I can be as well. And um, so yeah, that's that's the motivation for me. So Yoni, you said you've been here, you've, you've been doing this for a while, right? Give us an insight into the day day in the life of an f1 esports driver what's what's a what's a standard day for you what does it look like um we start a practice well first of all i wake up around 10 a.m nice that live, is that is leisurely <laughs> yeah i live in finland so that nice <laughs> yeah uh, we start practicing at 11 my time nine here uh we usually go for three hours so we end at two then I have lunch, we have a one hour break, continue again at three, do another three hour session, end at six. Um, then I try to relax, play some games, see some friends, whatever, anything that gets my mind out of racing. Right, and the, the practice sessions themselves, how do you like to structure them? Is it, is it, a, is it a team effort and you're, you're all kind of working on the same thing? You're working on quality pace, you're working on the wet race, you're working on a particular setup, or is, or is it totally individual? You have, you have you're just putting three hours of seat time in. You said a lot of it's muscle memory, right? Yeah, um, mainly it's team goals, team doing the same thing. It can, it can be a bit different especially going, getting closer to the races because someone needs to do the wet stuff as well. Like sometimes there is a guy who does extreme wets, then another one does intermediates. But mostly it's, it's a team thing mostly. Like that, that's what I like about this team. It's being a team. And so how much sharing of, of data do you guys do you know when you when you're doing setups and you've, you've got your lap times in you're comparing one setup versus another how open is that is there a system for that or is it just you know an open conversation about it as you're practicing uh it's it's mainly open yeah yeah i think that's probably something we could do better look more at data but it yeah it's it's very open we share everything between each other so it's it's a healthy competition 
Right. And, you know, the, the, the margins in sim racing especially are tiny because you're in identical machinery, right? You're in identical machinery on the track. So it's all about, as, you, as you've said before, right, it's all about muscle memory and it's all about the hours that you put in. But it can't just be about the hours you put in, right? Because you could have three or four people all put in exactly the same amount of hours and you'd, one of you would, would, would win, right? So what's the extra thing? What's the extra thing that a driver needs to have to win other than the pure dedication to the practice time? Find the way that works for you and get in the right headspace. That's probably the biggest thing. Because as you said, the gaps are so small it's so easy to make small mistakes in the game. So if you're in the right headspace and not, not overthinking it, you're using the muscle memory you have built beforehand. And I think that's what will make you succeed. Okay, interesting. Now, Tom, there's a huge amount of pressure, right, on you guys as, as drivers. There aren't many esports series, sim racing series that have so many people watching and so many people supporting who have this kind of vested interest in your performance as an individual right so how do you deal with that pressure i think well it's the best way to deal with pressure i think is to try and nullify it and try and remove it as best you can so i think no one no one does well under pressure i think if you put pressure on yourself you know we put all these hours in practice if you just shove a bunch of pressure on yourself it's just going to kind of remove some of that you know you just kind of want to have the mindset that it's just you know another lap another you know another lap of the track you don't really want to kind of overthink it because that's when mistakes happen and obviously you know with the gaps being so tight you know one mistake you know I think if you overthink it that's when mistakes happen and that's obviously when you can be the start last or invalidate or stuff like that. And are you aware of the viewership when you're when you're racing and you're side by side and you're thinking, oh, okay, I've gone too, you know, too wide into this corner, into this corner and the next corner and the next corner, like it's getting a bit dicey. People are going to start perhaps judging what I'm doing. Are you, do you, do you, does that ever pop into your mind or is it just purely taking the, the corner? No, I, I don't really listen to what others would say because there's a lot of people that will just chat rubbish really online. Like I know Yana especially has a lot of fans like, whether it's Jana's fault or not, they'll attack the other guy mm. no matter what. So you just kind of you, you can't really win. So I think just do your own thing. You know, you're not gonna, you're not out there to be dirty on purpose. If you make a mistake, you know, own up to it. But I don't think you should drive cautiously just because people are watching you. Now, one of the great things about F1 esports and one of the great things about league racing is that you get that experience of racing against characters i.e. people that you know, people that have driving styles, people that are either aggressive or they'll give you some space or, or perhaps they won't give you as much space, but you know who those people are. It's the same reason why a lot of people turn to league racing versus just random online lobbies where you don't know who you're driving, you've never raced with them again, you've never raced with them before. You get that experience that you get on the real track where you start to learn the paddock. Do you study the other drivers at all and see what they do how they race so that you're just kind of aware who the person is in the car next to you no i think if you're racing anyway like in a league race for example you kind of with battles yourself you'll kind of gather the knowledge and know who's who's more passive or aggressive like i can name people that i know would 
I would maybe... Name shame. Name no, shame. Let's, let's, we'll clip it up for TikTok. I think some <laughs> probably already know, but some people will give you space, some won't. I think, I think it also, yeah, I think it's just dependent on the person, but yeah, I, I, in general, I wouldn't really change my approach, but yeah, you know, some, some you're more likely to get into contact with than others, for sure. Yeah, and does that not add to the immersion? The experience, the you know, the immersiveness of this being simulated racing, the fact that the person you're racing with is a real person with a reputation, with pressures. When you're when you're kind of in this world, you know, the sim racing is called sim racing because it's simulating real world racing. And as soon as you have whole teams behind each one of the cars on this virtual track, that must add to the enjoyment or the, the sense of reward during the racing. Yeah, I suppose, because obviously growing up, you want to be an F1 driver, and this is like the second best thing. So it's almost um, it's almost just emulating it as best as it can. So I think just to have that whole experience, just kind of in a virtual world, I think is, is kind of what you want, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think from a viewer's point of view, I think it adds a whole new layer. When, when we're watching the racing, I think because you're racing for the teams you're racing for, I think when you watch it, you feel like there's perhaps an additional sense of jeopardy. Everything's a bit more dramatic in F1 esports because you've got whole teams of people behind you. Yeah, and also obviously in F1 esports, there's a prize pool. Obviously league racing there isn't. So people, obviously you've seen league racing this game, obviously there's a lot of carnage already, but I think esports, everything is... The prize pool, there's a prize pool. So everything's just going to be kind of bigger and larger. The crashes, I think there'll be more because people are, you know, even more territorial of their positions and et cetera. So, yeah, I think it's only going to get worse in league racing. But Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun to watch. It is a lot of fun to watch. And I think the, the, the viewership is, is growing um, over time. Now, Yoni, obviously the team that you're racing for based in Italy, it's remote, you know, how kind of integrated do you feel with that team? Are you getting, are you getting kind of regular enough contact with them that makes you really feel like you are part of their, their paddock? Oh yeah, for sure. And it's my fourth, I think it's my fourth year already with the team. So of course we, are, we have got to know each other quite a bit. So yeah, it's, it's nice and the support I'm getting feels good. Yeah. Now, tell us about LAN events, right? What's the additional excitement that exists when you're, at, when you're physically at a LAN event? I've spoken a couple of times now about immersion, how sim racing has various ways of making it feel immersive, making it feel like you are living the lives of, a, of an F1 driver. When you go to a physical LAN event, that must be heightened tenfold, right? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I think LAN racing is the way to go. That's the real deal, which sadly couldn't happen because of COVID. But <clears throat> yeah, it's a whole different atmosphere. There's a lot of people around you, lots of cameras, lights, and you need to be able to zone that all out because otherwise you will not be able to focus. And I think for some, it may add some pressure as well, seeing people in the audience. But for me, it's usually been my strength like really feel zoned in. 
Why do you think there's additional pressure at a live event from the audience? Because you know the numbers that, that you pull in when you're doing a, a race and it's, it's streamed to YouTube, right? You know how that there's a lot more people watching than you can physically see. So what is it about being there that, that kind of heightens that, that pressure? I don't know, because it doesn't affect me. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I don't know, maybe it's just them physically being there, like reacting to whatever's happening like let's say you have a big crash you may hear something mm. from the crowd and then you're like oh no <laughs> i did this like you know but yeah i, I don't know doesn't affect me ice cold ice cold man Finish. ice cold <laughs> okay um jed let's talk about the career right of an f1 esports driver how far ahead can you look in your F1 esports career, do you have like a? Are you able to have like a five-year plan, or or is it race by race, season by season? Um, obviously, I'm I'm looking ahead because obviously you can't be too tunnel vision and say, and, and look like really zoomed in. Mm -hmm. You've got to obviously have a plan. But I think, especially being my first year, I just want to sort of just just use it like just learn a lot take it race by race see what i can learn obviously i think you only pointed on the land thing i think that's gonna be a really good experience and i think i'm really looking forward to it. i think it'll be um a case of who can adapt quickest and i think that's one of my strengths so that's something i'm really looking forward to but yeah i'm yeah, just really looking forward to the season to see what we can do um like i said it's going to be take a lot of learning but uh, i think we can get some good results and it's interesting saying that you think one of your strengths is adapting quicker because i guess there's so much to adapt to right so you know new teams new track this year you know new game every year yeah. right so being able to adapt quickly that's got to be up there with a with you know if you're going to put in order all the attributes of a good driver then being adaptable has got to be right right near the top yeah, definitely. I think obviously when you go to land, you obviously have your rig at home and you have like the, the wheel settings, pedals and sort of different angles you can have the wheel. And I think when you go to land, mm. you're, you probably won't get those exact like measurements of it. So I think that's going to be quite key because I think some drivers like, might throw them off or some drivers it might mm. they might get better. So I think that's that's obviously going to be a big part. Especially of a brake pedal, right? The yeah, brake, The brake yeah. pedal's the biggest one. I think, yeah, especially like I remember I went to the Pro Exhibition 2022 and it was the first time we were obviously using the same equipment and it was the first time using a load cell um, for a lot of people. So that was obviously a case of adapting really mm. quickly. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it. <laughs> Let's call this a job, right? Which is technically what it is, although I imagine it doesn't feel like that very often. When you go home and you speak to people uh, that maybe you went to school with or your family um, and they ask you what you do and you explain, you must get a lot of, a lot of them just going, sorry, you do what? Yeah, I know. It's it's, it's pretty surreal. Um, I think as well, when you look, obviously there's only 30 people that do this as well. It, it's pretty pretty crazy. So yeah, it's a, it's a real privilege to be able to do this. And um, yeah, when, I, when, I, when you obviously see that there's only 30 people, it gives you that motivation to think like, you're doing such a, you're obviously, you're obviously here for a reason. You've got mm -hmm. a talent. So, um, so yeah, it's a real, real motivation. And it must be, it, it, it must almost feel like this is, I don't know how to, I don't want to say like a sidestep, but when you're growing up and you're at school and it's like, okay, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to go to GCSE, I'm going to do my A-levels, I'm going to go to, so for our American listeners, that's just exams. You do various exams, and then you go to university, and then you get a job, and you work nine to five, and you get promoted, and then you die. Like, this must feel essentially like, okay, something something is happening here. Yeah, definitely. Like, 
obviously when you grow up you have like these dreams like when you, you say oh I want to be a Formula One driver as you as you get older you think oh that, that's there's obviously only 20 drivers and you need sort of obviously the talent and a lot of luck to get there so obviously to be here as well doing this which is obviously representing Alpha Tauri is, is, a, is a really good and um, yeah just just really real privilege to do it. Yeah, I, I'm absolutely not surprised. Now, Yoni, you've been here for four years, you said, right? When you get new drivers coming into the team and you've been the kind of the stable for a little while, how much do you feel a responsibility to kind of take them under your wing and teach them the ropes and reassure them and help them? Or is it pretty cutthroat, be fast or that's it, you're out? <laughs> um... Those are two very big extremes, by the way. It's either like play dad or just be ice cold, not interested. Well, yeah, <laughs> Make they, it or, or, they or sink. They call me the father after all. But, uh, <laughs> do do I, they? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't really feel like it's a responsibility. Like, of course, like if I can teach something, that's great. Like I will, I will do it. But I feel like they already know what they're doing, so I don't need to step in and tell them. It's not, you're not ever tempted to play some mind games and be like, right, actually, the trick is 95% throttle is faster than 100%, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> no, nothing like that. Okay, fair, fair enough. So I'm going to flip this. Tom, what's it been like coming into the team knowing that you've got you know, teammates who have been here for a, a lot longer? Do you feel like you have something to prove? Um, I think regardless of how long they've been here, you know, they're here for a reason. That you wouldn't just if you wouldn't just like sympathetically have you in a seat, you know you have to be fast to be here. So you know everyone, but it's so like everyone's got such a point to prove. You know like one bad year and you're out. So I was talking about like you know thinking about the future and stuff. I feel like every game's different. If you don't react to a game well, that could just be you gone. You know, so I think you've got to you know you've got to do your best job. You know whether your teammates are new or not. I don't, I don't think it really affects you in your mindset towards it. I think, obviously, Yoni's got more experience, maybe with Lan as well, that will help slightly. But I think it's mainly just down to you, though, and what you can do. That's really interesting, because there's so many nuances in sim racing, right? Like, there's, whole, there's layers upon layers upon layers on any given race. You've obviously got the driver, then you have the game, then you have obviously all the conditions that exist in the race, the length of the race, and is it wet, is it dry? Then you've got the car within the game and how the, the car handles. And then you have this whole other layer, which doesn't exist in real world, which is like the rig and how the rig feels in that game, in those conditions with that particular driver. Now, the interesting thing about sim racing, I think, is that a lot of sim racers consider themselves sim racers broadly, as opposed to I'm an ACC driver, or I'm an iRacing driver, or I'm an F1 driver. Now, you do have specialists, as we've said before, but a lot of people would consider themselves broadly sim racers. Now, the interesting thing with F1, of course, is that that column, that game, changes every year as well. So do you think there's any benefit to testing out, trying other games, learning other disciplines, getting other feels um, to those games? And Do you consider yourself an F1 driver or a sim racer? I would say, for me, F1 driver, because it's all I've known, all I've done. But obviously, Yoni has been swapping a lot. It probably doesn't help. Like, if you want to be fast in F1, your best bet is just to stay there. But I think I would say I'm an F1. They Obviously, I mean, unless you've done other sims, I wouldn't say you, you're really a sim racer because you've just done F1. And F1 isn't really, you know, a sim either. 
so I would call myself just an F1 esports driver, F1 sim racer, not a, a sim racer broadly. That's really interesting that you say that F1 isn't a sim. It's this is something that I've kind of that there is a there's an interesting thing about the F1 game, and people some will call it a, a, a sim. They'll say it is a sim. Other people will say it's it's simcade. Others will say it's arcade. Now there's got to be a sliding scale here, right? Who who's to say at what point because this game has X, Y, or Z, this is therefore a sim, or this is therefore just a game, or it's, I've decided that there is a bracket called Simcade, and this falls into it. Like, how do you, what, what makes you, you feel like the, the game isn't a sim? I think it's probably mainly just the handling. But if you also look at the F1 game and like the, the people who buy it, it's not just sim racers. It's like lots of young kids who just want to watch F1 and play F1. So I can understand, you know, it's not, designed to be a sim, it's designed to get people to play it. But also, you know, you have career mode and all these other sections. Mm. Like, ours is just a section of the game. It's not really, the game's not designed for our section entirely. And obviously the handling's maybe not as perfect or fine-tuned as other games. Because there's so many more layers to our game than just mm. handling car, you know. That's fascinating. So is it almost like you consider this to be more esports than sim racing and i know the two kind of go hand in hand but it's more like it's an esport as opposed to you know something like ren sport acc i racing that would very much consider themselves if you look at the if you look at something like um uh, acc they do their land in the paddock at the event because they want to be virtual motorsport right whereas f1 maybe feels a bit more kind of esl esportsy style yeah i think if i was to just Distinguish sim racing and esports. I say esports is maybe a bit more like not arcadey, but kind of like yeah, kind of more arcadey. Like mm. that's kind of the vibe I get with F1, more arcadey, more yeah. esporty than sim racing. Yeah, that's interesting, and I kind of like that because sometimes we have this debate of like, you know, is it snobbish to say it's not a, it's not a sim? And actually there is a nice way of putting that, which is there's nothing wrong with it not being a sim. There's nothing wrong with it being like a really fun, accessible game that people can play and enjoy. It doesn't, like, it's not either sim or bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, you see so many good sim races as well. They do well on F1, so it's not just like a completely different game. It's maybe just not completely the same, but obviously the same drivers will probably do well from eSports. If they were to do, like, Rensport, like Yoni, for example, like, they're good sim races, obviously. Obviously, you have some that are better on F1 but you know they'll be do good in any game not just F1 so it's not completely different obviously yeah okay this has been absolutely fascinating and I've really enjoyed getting like an insight into your world the world you're going into the experience you've had and what it's like kind of entering this world so before we finish I've got some quick fire questions and disclaimer I am trying to trip you up here okay this is going to be fun right uh, so you're going to have three questions each Okay, but they're going to be fast. I want your first instant reaction to the question. Everyone understand the brief? Yep. Yep. Okay, so you're ready. This is a reaction test. So, who's the fastest driver here? Me. Favorite track? None of them. What? I've asked to choose one. Uh, I need to think. Jeddah, I don't know. Wet or dry? Dry. I wasn't expecting Jeddah. Why Jeddah? Just There's nothing wrong with Jeddah. I just wasn't expecting it. I've not got. It's not like I'm the fastest, but it's just you know tight, difficult. I also quite like night races more. Okay. I think it's cooler, but also like the street track. There's no room for error. 
you know, I think in sim racing especially, you're trying to find every margin. Mm. I think tracks like that are even more difficult. You want to get as close to the wall as possible, so. Love that. Okay, Yoni, you're up. Are you ready? Cool. It's a reaction test. It's got to be fast. Who's the fastest driver here? Me. Understeer or oversteer? Understeer. Max or Lewis? Max. That was quick. That was yeah, quick. Was nice. Good. I like it. Big fan. Okay. Right. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to change this one slightly, but I'm, re I'm ready for it. Okay. Oh, no. You ready? Yep. Who's the fastest driver here? Me. Softs or hards? Uh, soft. Cockpit or chase cam? Uh, cockpit. Okay. I was really hoping that I tripped you up and you said chase cam. That'd be really, nah. really funny. <laughs> In GTA or something. Chase <laughs> yeah. cam. Okay, guys. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate your time. And you've got a hugely busy day. So I uh, appreciate you taking the time to speak to us on the Sim Sundays podcast and good luck with the season. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Cheers.